Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, sleepyheads. This is episode 25 of The Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and no offense, lady, but your man is damn ugly. <laughs> and I'm Barb, and I just want to shout about how much I liked the fall finale. So today we're going to be discussing the eighth Sleepy Hollow episode of season three entitled Novus Ordo Seclorum, which was written by Leigh Dana Jackson and directed by Russell Lee Fine. And I don't know about you, Steve, but I really enjoyed this episode. Oh, I did too. I thought there was quite a bit of character development with all the characters. And we got to see Team Witness using their heads for once before going into a battle and using some weapons that are not, shall we say, normally used. And they ended up being very successful. So I was very happy to see that. Yeah, they did a really nice job working together truly as a team in this episode. And I think we're going to have a really good time discussing this today. Absolutely. So how would you like me to give you a little recap of the episode, Steve? Let's do it. Okay. As we open, Pandora is bathing her husband in the river, and molten-looking Jenny is being held as their captive. They are pulling the shard energy out of her body to feed the hidden one. Abby is at FBI headquarters being grilled by Danny and Sophie, but feigns a lack of knowledge. She joins Crane and Joe in the woods just in time to confirm that Jenny is a hostage and that they are fighting a living God. Team Witness realizes they need to procure a book written by Benjamin Franklin in Albany. The building is now a frat house where a toga party is underway. Our team finds a hidden passage, the book, and discovered that Paul Revere had examined an artifact containing a red gemstone. Revere's nephew touched the stone, became molten like Jenny, and he ultimately exploded and died. The gemstone eye reformed and Revere melted the staff to make the shard, which would hold and control the stone. Abby heads to FBI headquarters to snatch the shard and Nevin's spell book, while Pandora visits Nevin's in his transport van. She's housekeeping and kills Nevin's for using her magic box. Sophie finds Abby and takes her to the transport van where Nevin's has been reduced to a puddle of blood. Abby sees Pandora walking away. Pandora offers her a place on their evil team while playing mind games, and then she disappears. Crane and Joe have male bonding time, while Abby and Danny have a confrontation. Abby resigns from the FBI, making Jenny her priority. Sophie tells Danny how much heavy armory Abby took with her before she left the FBI, and he asks Sophie to find Abby. Loaded with ammo and the spellbook, Team Witness heads to Pandora's lair. There they fight Pandora and her godlike husband. Abby uses the broken pieces of the shard to pull the eye power out of Jenny, but it appears the power and pieces are locked to her hands. The cave begins to collapse, and Abby realizes that she can only save them by retreating into the evil tree. Crane shouts for her, and they lock eyes as she enters the tree. The power explodes, the tree closes. In a giant fireball, Pandora's box is destroyed. Pandora and her god husband are gone. Joe and Jenny are injured. And Crane whispers, Abby. So what kind of news do we have for this episode, Steve? All right. We have live plus seven numbers for episode five, Dead Men Tell No Tales, the second part of the Bones Sleepy Hollow crossover. It tied for 24th overall in adults 18 to 49 total increase, going from 1.1 to 1.9 for an increase of 0.8. It also tied for 17th overall in percentage increase, going from 1.1 to 1.9 for a 73% increase. And that 1.9 just happened to be the same numbers for the Grim Premiere. Nice. I think we're going to be just fine on Fridays. 
We were 16th overall in viewer percentage increase, going from 4.6 million to 7 million for a 54% increase. That's big. Yes, that was huge. Now, episode seven, The Art of War, the live plus three, we increased by 56% in adults 18 to 49, going from a 0.9 to a 1.4 and a four share. Now, episode eight, Live plus same day, 2.8 million viewers with a 0.8 rating in adults 18 to 49. Now, Friday, we got an announcement from Fox that it will no longer provide advanced same day ratings. They will wait for the plus three and plus seven and refers to the current system as antiquated. Well, it sort of is, isn't it? Because people view their shows in so many different ways now than what they've done in the past. And this has been an issue for a lot of different shows. Yes, it has. So I like that. It'll be difficult because obviously have anything for our listeners to let them know how the show stood. But I think the nice thing about it is be much more reflective of the real ratings for the show. Yes. And like I've said previously, I think if we keep our Live plus seven numbers around 5 million people. That's going to be more than enough to keep Fox happy and keep us going to a season four. I certainly hope so, Steve. So speaking of ratings, what kind of rating did you give to Novus Ordo Seclorum? Well, I gave it a 9.25 eye magnets. Nice. <laughs> nice. And I gave it nine broken boxes broken shards, and broken hearts. Oh. Oh, I know. It's so sad. Crane. Oh, but we'll talk about him. Yes, we will. But I guess, first of all, we should speak about Team Second Tribulation. And, you know, we just promoted, what, Atticus Nevins to Team Tribulation here in the past two weeks or so. And Yes. <laughs> I guess we have to have a moment of silence for him tonight, right? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, yes, we won't be seeing Atticus anymore. No, I know. They were going to go look for him and have um, manhunts out for him, but I'm thinking, um, no, that puddle of blood is all that's left of Atticus. Yes. <laughs> yes. Too bad. So tell us, what about uh, Pandora and her hubby? Well, we got the uh, mummified look verified as she's got him in the Hudson River, moisturizing him up. <laughs> <laughs> it really did look like a baptism, didn't it? It sure did. It really did. I thought, oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> In more ways than one. Yeah, definitely. We see him levitate Jenny as he is feasting on the energy. That was both terrible and cool all at the same time. Uh, yes, it sure was. And we see Pandora kind of say, not so fast, not so fast. You don't want to have a bellyache. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. What a caring person she is. Uh, not at all. Did you notice yeah. what she called them this time? Yes, she called them witnesses rather than destroyers. You know, that's interesting because that makes me think that she was really playing a lot more of a mind game with Abby then in the hospital. By referring yes, to them she as... she was. Because... Throughout this episode, she called them witnesses. They confirm to us that, yes, there have been witnesses in the past. Which is exactly what we've been speculating. Yes. And Another that one for our side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goody, we got a theory right. But I think that's very interesting, too, because by confirming that there have been witnesses in the past and a few other things that she had said, I have a feeling that Abby and Crane have some very interesting blood in their veins from their ancestors. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Now we get to hear the hidden one absolutely disdain the plague of humanity, that it's destroyed the earth and all its beauty. I know. He sounds like a lot of um, different groups that are out in the world today, didn't he? Oh, we're, we're destroying our environment. Yes. <laughs> He was doing a little destroying of himself with Jenny. I'm not sure that uh, that whole, he, he should be calling the, the pot, calling the kettle black, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Nice guy. Now, we do see Nevins in custody. 
and for being shot, he looks like he's in pretty good shape, but he is not talking at all. No, and I don't particularly blame him, but I would have thought that Sophie would have known a little bit more from hanging around him and that she would have been able to throw some of that knowledge at him and maybe extract a couple things from him and maybe even trip him up. Yeah, I would have thought that she would have been able to do that as well. Unfortunately, she did not. Finally, he does say, well, I will talk, but only to Abby. And of course, Abby doesn't get there in time. Bye-bye, Atticus. And we get to see another layer of Pandora again. Now, that was awesome. She made a great bad guy FBI agent. She really did. And she pulled the mind games on Abby big time. Oh, didn't she, though? Yes, she was able to sense that hesitation and that guilt for not sticking up for her sister all those years ago. And so, again, I think that goes back to what her reflecting pond Mm -hmm. and secrets and everything else that she's been pulling from Abby as she's been watching her. But she played that mind game so well. And then as soon as Sophie comes around the corner, she's gone. Smart woman. But she tried to get Abby to join yes, the dark she side. Did. Yes, come to the dark side. Mm-hmm. We have cake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what else did Pandora do? Well, we see as they start their attack, she gets shot, you know, as expected, has absolutely no effect. Now, I'm thinking Sumerians, did they really have guns back then? Well, no. But I guess seeing that she did stop Crane's crossbow, that anytime they aim something, she knows there's a projectile coming at her to stop. And I wonder then, why was she able to be tased and taken down? It didn't well, look like she was catching bullets. It, it almost looked as if they were bouncing off of those. Yeah, they were bouncing off. So maybe she was able to put some kind of spell around her, but maybe by not seeing the tasing coming from behind her, maybe that's what made her go down. That's the only thing I can think of. I believe she had a forward shield up and was not expecting a uh, attack from behind. But yes, that was so awesome to see uh, her go down with that tase. And Crane looks at it like, oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) His new 21st century toy. Yes. And then we get to see as the witnesses are doing everything they can to distract Pandora and the hidden one with their attacks, Crane goes after the box. Which is very smart. Book of spells, he starts chanting one out and he actually gets the box to come open and start spinning. And Pandora at first is just shocked. Oh yes. She was not happy. No. (laughs) And I don't think she expected anyone to do that. I mean, here she had just quote unquote put Nevins out of his misery for playing with the box that her husband gave her. But that was a great scene. Yes, because they both go after the box and you see him, Crane's still chanting and she starts chanting and the box is just getting confused. (laughs) I think the only thing that I was disappointed about is that we didn't see something begin to emerge from the box. That I would have expected. Yes. But I don't know Latin well enough to know what they were saying. So I couldn't interpret it. Now we see the hidden one actually get knocked down by a grenade. Why did they throw that so close to Jenny? I Yeah, that was <sighs> a little uh, iffy there, but... Hand wave. Yes. But he does make it back up and knocks Abby into the wall of the uh, pond. And, of course, it breaks the shard. And at that point, I think everyone just was in shock because I thought, oh, no, how on earth are we going to save Jenny? Jenny, now. yes. <laughs> With broken pieces all over the ground and the look on Abby's face, the horror. Uh, But she was fast and resourceful. Yes. And then there went the hidden one again. Yes. As the eye explodes, Pandora and the hidden one disappear. But I'm sure it's not for good. And we'll have to talk more about that as we look into our crystal ball. Absolutely. Now, what was up with Team Witness? 
So after having a few weeks of Jenny and Joe being a lot more front and center, and then, of course, last week truly joining Team Witness as a foursome, this week it was a little bit less and more of the focus, I believe, was on certainly on Abby and then on Crane. But there was, you know, as you said, there was Jenny, Jenny on fire, you know, and she was levitating. Yes, I know that movie opens just opened up already, too. So here is Jenny on fire. The visuals were fantastic. Kudos to Sleepy Hollow for doing such a great job on that. And then the next thing that we found out through Crane and through Joe was that Jenny drew on the walls with a purpose. So those were all the visions that she was seeing that were brought on by her having that eye uh, absorbed into her body. Now, the only thing that I think that we don't know, and it doesn't really matter, was she writing on the wall willingly because she was trying to communicate that or was it because the the shard had so overpowered her that that was the outlet for her and for her body and i don't think it really matters but i thought that it was interesting nonetheless yeah now one of the things that they saw right away was the great seal of the united states or the eye of providence which was meant to be a warning against the threat of imperialism and then joe spots the staff on the wall and i'm thinking are we watching National Treasure? <laughs> but we're not. We're watching Sleepy Hollow. But I thought that that was nice. It, and kudos to the production team for all the hours it must have taken to create all of those writings literally over every empty space on that wall. It wasn't exactly. empty. <laughs> Completely filled it up. And I think you already opened up with what I thought was the best <laughs> line of the night. Yes. No offense, lady, but your man is damn ugly. Yeah, that's got to be Jenny's best line of the series so far. That was so funny. It, you know, she was in such a terrible situation, but for her to spit that out. <laughs> and she was correct. So Joe while he and Crane are having their male bonding time, said he was willing to take the power of the Wendigo in order to save Jenny. And Crane gently admonished him and told him, no, that he shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be playing, you know, basically you don't play with fire. Don't try and take on something that can ultimately harm you, kill you, destroy you. That he needed to remain as a man so that he would be there for Jenny once they had saved her. And it's so sweet because Joe would do anything to save Jenny. Yes, and that just by doing that, it definitely proved that he has some very deep feelings for Jenny. It does, and I think the other nice thing about that scene between Ichabod and Joe was that, again, they had that male bonding time together, and Crane is going to need that. We know she's gone right now. She's gone, and he is going to have to have that relationship so that he can talk to someone. Yes. going to be very critical. So... When Abby came to rescue Jenny, Jenny told her to get out. But Abby had made her commitment, and she said she was not going to leave without her sister. So Pandora's mind game kind of backfired, don't you think? Yes. And I think that it had the opposite effect. I think that that helped Abby know that she had to resign from the FBI, that she had to put Jenny first, and she was going to do whatever it took. She was going to make that ultimate sacrifice for her sister. So, wow, Jenny tried. And I like the way that Joe attacked the hidden one, too, as you mentioned earlier, so that Abby would have a chance to get back to Jenny and pull the last pieces of the stone out of her. Yes, and it was a miracle Joe survived. (laughs) Well, he seemed to be very badly injured, didn't you think? Yes. He, He wasn't moving down there. I think I heard maybe, I don't know if that was his groan or Crane's groan. Yeah, I think it was Crane's. So. But he looked he looked pretty bad down there. Yes. And it looked to me like Jenny was unconscious as well. Yes, just barely breathing. You hear Crane go kind of, oh, thank God. Oh, yeah, that was tough. So speaking of Crane, Steve, why don't you talk a little bit about him this week? All right. Well, of course, we get the Eye of Providence, New Order of the Ages, which happens to have... A Ben Franklin tie-in, which, of course, irritates our crane to no end. I know. That was so funny. And Abby and Abby just jumped right on that one. Yes, she did. Oh, yes. There's no love lost between those two men. No. But he knows where to find it. And, of course, they head up to Albany, and we get a couple of great lines from him that we will discuss later. Yep. Because... 
of course, they're having a toga party and Animal House. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Animal House, an all-time great movie. Yes, nice shout-out, writers. Yes, but he does recall seeing Revere after the death of Revere's nephew, and realizes that Paul had melted the staff down to make the shard case. I and thought that staff looked awfully familiar. <laughs> Like it needed I to be. I tend to agree with you there, like Barb. It, like it needed to be stuck in the ground just as the sun came up to a oh. certain spot to illuminate a hidden place in a building where the ark was buried. Oh, yes. I do like Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is definitely my all-time, like one of my fave movies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it looked just like I thought it looked just like it. Nice shout out. Yes. But anyway, back to Sleepy Hollow. And of course, Revere gives Crane a warning to not let anyone in too close or it could break you. Oh, that was so sad. Yes, that was very heartbreaking to see that Paul had taken the death of his nephew so hard. But even worse, and and as I heard him say that, I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And sure enough, at the Uh, end. Yes, very foreboding. Oh, I know. And I thought, nope. Nope, I'm not going to believe it. Nope, 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 nope. And then Abby disappeared. And I thought, rut row. Like you mentioned earlier, the conversation Crane and Joe had was definitely some more bonding time for both of them. And you can tell that there is a bond growing, you know, where Crane's kind of the mentor, kind of taking over his dad's spot as far as a mentor goes. That's a nice analogy. I had not thought of it in that way. So uh, hopefully that will uh, continue to grow in the second half of the the season. I think it will. I I think that Joe is going to play a big role in keeping Crane focused this time. Yeah, because when Crane was talking to Joe, he was telling Joe that there are some lines that shouldn't be crossed. And I have a bad feeling about that line as well. Yes, that also could be very foreboding. Yeah, that Crane may not take his own advice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. Okay. And we do get a nice little Crane and Abby moment where they have a little uh, heart-to-heart about all the monsters that they have defeated, and you know, knowing that they're going up against a god this time. So, you know, they've got to pump themselves up to uh, come away uh, successful, or at least to believe that they can come away successful. I know, and they really rattled off a whole bunch of different <laughs> monsters. And they talked, let's see, they said, We have fought off horsemen, demons, witches, Norse berserkers, whispering wraith, zombie redcoats, evil scarecrows, golem, and we sent them packing. I thought, that's what a lovely shout out. And I thought yes. that's a nice tie in too. Hey, everybody, buy the book. I have my book. It was nice to kind of hear the, them talking about all the different monsters and what they have done before. And like I said, it was just awesome to see them approach it a whole lot differently than they have previously by having a plan, working as a team, because in the past, most of the time it's been Abby and Crane and yeah, one will go in and start and then the other one will try to come in and, and clean up. But this time they, the three of them worked fantastically together. Uh, they really, truly did. And of course we do get the, Great battle for Pandora's box between Crane and Pandora. Which I still think was absolutely fantastic. Yes. I was worried Crane was going to get behind, but he seemed to you know, keep it going enough to where she was the one trying to stop it instead of him trying to stop her. So that was great to see. Well, he was kind of new on casting spells. Yes. And she has been pulling monsters out of her box. She did it, what, six times? Yes. And But I would say that after all the years that she was wherever she was before, that perhaps she was a little rusty and she was taken aback. So I think that it was probably a fairly fair fight between them, fairly equal. And then when everything blew up to see Crane's face, he just looked, heartbreaking. He looked sick. He looked devastated. Yes, he, he did. Like, oh, Abby, no, no. Yeah, oh, not gosh. again. <laughs> but... He has deliberately swapped, because with Katrina, he deliberately swapped. Yes. I mean, that, and he said, I'll come back for you. 
Yes. But now they have many more months of friendship and bonding and caring between them. And he said to her earlier that Abby and Jenny are really the only family that he has. Yes. And this was a horrible blow to him. Yes, it was because he doesn't know if she just disintegrated or went somewhere that they don't know where. He has no idea what's happened. No. All he knows is she's gone and that he cares deeply. Yes. And speaking of being gone. Oh, I know, Abby. (sighs) What I found very interesting was right at the beginning that she didn't tell Danny or Sophie anything. Not that I expected her to. Because clearly they proved that they didn't trust her. And so she is certainly not going to trust them. Exactly. And not only that, but think about it. I mean, how are you going to sit there and explain to these two novices everything that you've been doing for the past, you know, two to three years, fighting monsters and supernatural, and they're going to believe you? Um, No. No. (laughs) And time was of the essence. They had an urgent need to find Jenny. Yes. So she wasn't going to waste her time. She was focused. She was doing all the right things. Now, she realized that the drawing that they saw on the wall was on the back of the $1 bill. So she helped open up Crane's mind to the fact that it could be the eye of Providence. And I think, again, as you said, this was amazing. And that scene where all three of them were together, and one would say something, and the next one would take that thought or that theory to the next step, and the next one would do, take it a little further. And the way they worked together on problem solving was just fantastic. And kudos to the writers showing three highly intelligent people working very quickly to solve a life or death problem. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think that's brought up enough by a lot of the people who actually write reviews of the episodes. No, there was a lot of, I know, I saw a lot of bashing um, on on the internet of this. And I thought, look, okay. I'm a little disappointed that she's appeared to wherever she's disappeared to. But after doing a little research, I'm not so certain that she's gone to the underworld. And people were disappointed by season two. But look, okay, guys, it's like if you have a marriage, you get into a marriage, you've been in it for all these years, and all of a sudden you think you're falling out of love with your spouse. Go back and remember what were all the things that you loved about that person. And then go look for those things again. So do the same thing with the show, people. We've got these great relationships here between Abby and Crane. That chemistry is not gone. We've got this great writing. We have these awesome monsters. So go remember why you loved it and look for the things that you like instead of taking the opportunity to bash it. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Thank you. I couldn't have said it any better, Barb. (laughs) (laughs) Abby also realized that the shard or the case must have hidden the, the stone, which of course led to, and he recalled what happened to Paul Revere and Paul Revere's nephew which was great. And then we understood why Pandora needed Nevins to find it because she couldn't see it. It was protected and hidden from her. Yes. And that made all the sense in the world. Another well done to the writers. Absolutely. You know, pulling out this one of these questions that we've had for a long time. Well, why couldn't she just go get it? Mm -hmm. Very nice answer there. And when Abby quit the FBI and He calls his boss, this strange person that we've seen one time so far, and he says, the asset that we've been cultivating, I'm like, hello, you cultivate your crops, and then you cut them down and harvest them, and then you turn them into food and eat them. And I'm thinking, she's a person. Why are you cultivating her? Yes. I didn't like that. And so, yes, I know. Here we go again. Barb wants Danny to be bad. All right. (laughs) I don't like the way he's treating her. No. Interestingly enough, he didn't accept uh, Jenny's resignation. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Yes, that will be very interesting to see where that actually goes. I have a feeling that it's back to the the Masons, that Danny's boss actually is a very high-up Mason, and that they are actually aware of more of what's going on than, of course, they've told Abby. Now, that's a great theory. And I hadn't even thought about something like that or read it anywhere. Kudos, Steve. I like that. All right. We're going to write down that on this date, on Saturday, November, the whatever today is that you put that down and let's see if you've nailed it. But I think one of the, and that's great. I like that idea a lot. Now, one of the things that I really liked was Abby questioning herself when she was talking to Ichabod. 
and that she was concerned that her judgment about going and waging war against the hidden one in Pandora may be clouded because she was completely focused on saving Jenny. And I thought, what a great time for some self-reflection and to say, hey, am I, am I doing this for the right reason? And of course, she totally was. And again, the, Absolutely we ha- was, yes. lovely moments, lovely moments between her and Crane as they talked about everything that they had gone through, you know, the importance of the family, you know, and protecting each other, being there for each other, and that they were absolutely doing the right things. And I know I said earlier in the season that I thought it may take until the second part of the season for Abby to realize that the witness, being a witness, was truly her calling. But I think she did that in this episode. Yes. Yeah. And I believe we got to see a little bit of Abby magic by pulling the Uh, (laughs) pieces of the shard together in her hand and getting the last of the energy out of her sister. I, I don't think those sh- those pieces would have been able to do that all by themselves. That's another very interesting thought. Maybe that's part of her legacy as a witness. Very nice. And then finally, she made the ultimate sacrifice or believed that she was doing that. Sacrificing herself to save everyone else. And she said that they all had to take care of each other. So We saw that that was one of the things that Pandora played on with Abby when she was in the hospital. Yes. She did. So again, wonderful, fantastic episode. Stunning at the end that we were going to lose Abby again. And I think that that was probably my only small little nit with this epi is that it's Abby again who's making some type of sacrifice or Abby who's being left behind somewhere, which it's like, okay, we've seen this a lot. But honestly, the way that they did it, I really enjoyed it and really enjoyed all of the action all of the dialogue, and the intelligence behind the episode. Couldn't agree more. Well, maybe we should talk about a few theories and prophecies. I've, I've cleaned my crystal ball this week. Steve, what about you? Well, I just keep throwing them out there uh, <laughs> before we even get here. <laughs> That's okay. Those are good ones. All right. Well, where do we think Pandora and the Hidden One disappear to? Well, I don't know because Pandora has proven her ability to blend in with the residents of Sleepy Hollow. And she's pulled a few disguises. But the hidden one, or Etu Ilu, I think as they called him all, though I think hidden one is easier to say. Yes. (laughs) He had such disdain for the humans in general. I don't think he's going to want to don a disguise. No, he's ready to uh, start the cleanup immediately. So I don't have the foggiest idea where they go. They've got to have some other cave, some house, some place that they can hide. Maybe a little cabin out in the middle of the forest. I don't know. But I don't think they're gone. Oh, no. Not at all. You know, and we we talked about Pandora no longer calling them destroyers and that she had gone back to the term witnesses. She said they were useful. And she told Abby something pretty interesting as well, too. Did you catch that? that? Well... She said, you know you don't have to fight us, Abby. There is a place for you two witnesses in the new world. You have a right by lineage. Yes, I did catch that. So what do they want the witnesses to do? Serve them? Do the, the witnesses must have a lot more power than... They even imagine. Well, again, if Pandora and the Hidden One were sent packing by the last set of witnesses... We've got to surmise that because otherwise why they wouldn't have disappeared. Exactly. Then what is it though? How So the witnesses can only be useful them if the witnesses are serving them, which means they have to turn the witnesses to the dark side. Very true. Yeah. So it certainly does seem that being, again, as we talked about, I think just very briefly, that being witnesses is an inherited trait and that it's Abby and Crane's ancestors have fought this age old battle. Yes. And we've seen Grace Dixon. Oh, yeah. But we haven't seen any of Crane's ancestors that could be tied to this yet. No, but he did bring back that uh, stone tablet that he tried to smuggle in through immigration. (laughs) So we know that they were involved. So I don't recall that Abby had time to even tell that to Crane about her discussion with Pandora while they were looking for Jenny. No, we did not get to hear that conversation. However, when he gets Abby back, and I am firmly in the camp that he's going to get her back. 
I think she'll tell him then because that something in that is going to give them hints as to how to destroy Pandora and the hidden one and send them packing again. Couldn't agree more. So what do you think Pandora and her husband plan on remaking the world into if they don't like what they see today? Oh, I think it's going to be their version of Eden where it's nothing but beautiful country, no infestations of humans to (laughs) trash their beauty. Wonderful. Yes. Now, it seemed that he needed this fire from Jenny to burn the evil world. He called it his righteous fire, I believe. Yes. And he didn't get all of it. No, he didn't. And that's a good thing, I think. Yes, I think so, too. He may be a living God, but he may not have all his power. No, and do you think that would give them the opening in the door that they need to potentially find a weakness and kill him? I think it will. That would be so awesome. You know, they may not be able to kill him, but they that may be enough to open the door to get them to lock him back up where he once was before. I hope he saved his mummy wrappings. He may need them again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now... I do think that we're going to see both of them in the second half of the season. I don't think that they're gone by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, no. No. Well, this will be interesting. Now, do you think that, um, well, Pandora thinks, I suppose, that Abby is gone. So do you think that she's going to try and come after Crane now because he potentially broke her precious box? There's no doubt. Just like she went after Nevins. Oh, good point. She's going to be mad as all get out at Crane. And he's a witness anyway. Yes, so it's game on. Oh, yeah. Abby, Abby, where do you think she is? At first, I was thinking purgatory. Well, not purgatory, but the underworld. Seeing that she'd already been stuck in purgatory before, I'm thinking, no, maybe not. No, I don't think so either. Maybe another dimension... Maybe another time. I wouldn't mind seeing Abby back in the 1770s. No, because then she'd be with Betsy Ross and they'd have girl bonding. <laughs> I, you know, I, no, nah. No, but her Grace I'm sorry. get her sent back again, so. <laughs> I know you like Betsy, but no. <laughs> now, one thing that Pandora said, she said when she was, I think when she was bathing him, she said that he had, that her love, the hidden one, had come back from an old catacomb, which is an old tomb. Yes. So I wonder if there was a swap. I wonder if then when Abby, quote unquote, kind of blew up with that power, if she ended up going to the catacombs where he came from. wonder if she'll it, find Paul Revere's nephew down there. Very interesting thought. That would, I think, add an extra character that they don't need. But oh, yes. sorry, Paul Revere. He was a, hey, that was your nephew. Yes. Um, But... And also, too, the shard wasn't as powerful as when the nephew had it because it was contained, but it was still sort of in pieces. I I don't know. I'm not sure. At least the tree wasn't destroyed. Very true. And I really don't think that uh, the powers that be at Fox would, would kill off uh, the Abbey Mills character. As you know, we, we've seen other shows where major characters have been killed off, much to the shock and chagrin of, of all of fandom. Right. Uh, and a um, person of interest had done that with Detective Josh Carter a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. and. Oh, my goodness, did that stir up an uproar? Wow. Yes, it did. <laughs> oh, I think people are still mad about that. But And we personally, I thought maybe they were going to do that to Jenny Mills in this episode, but they didn't. Oh, no. There would have been uproar over Jenny, too. Oh, yes, I'm sure of that. No, I think they've taken such great care to bond this foursome together that they're not going to uh, blow them all up here. I would hope not. No, I don't think so. I, I think we're about... We're, Beginning to see the the making of a very fantastic foursome. Yes, I think so, too. Now, Pandora's box, it did appear to be destroyed. But do you think that Crane might try and glue it back together and use that book of spells that he has to try and find Abby? It wouldn't surprise me at all. What do you think, Crane? It really wouldn't. Yeah, I think he's got to try something to try to figure out where she's at and collecting the pieces of the boxes and trying to put them back together so maybe he can use the koi pond to uh, look into a dimension where Abby could be located in. I could see him doing that. Oh, time travel? Think you might time travel back to find Grace Dixon? Maybe she knows something if this is in her blood too. 
Yes, I could very well see that. Hey, we can throw out all kinds of things here. Yes. <laughs> I think I had tweeted that out that there was going to be a, another Grace Dixon sighting before this was all over with. And I, I was thinking it was to be more to help Jenny, but it may be to help Abby. Uh, that would be great. What do you think Joe and Jenny are going to do to help? Well, I think they'll go through every single artifact that they've ever come across and see if there's anything that might possibly help. You know, August Corbin has got to have something in his old records. Yes. And Joe has already been going through them because he's been so curious about his father. So something may come to mind relatively quickly, or he may think of something because they are a thinking team. Yes, they are. Good old Sophie. Sophie, who was bad, and now she's good. And I still think she's got to know something because she worked with Nevins. And I'm wondering if they'll team up with her. Because again, Nevins said he talked about a Pandora in front of her. Mm-hmm. So she's got to know that something supernatural is going on. Is going on. Exactly. Abs- and that's why it makes more sense that Danny and his boss know what's going on. Why did you not say something to Abby about it? I know. Now, I'm thinking that that stone is going to reform, don't you? More than likely, yes. I mean, it did with with Paul Revere's nephew, Jonathan, I think his name was. So I'm wondering that after they have a little recovery here, if Crane won't go back frantically looking through the roots of the tree to see if he can find it. Absolutely. Now, talking about Sophie and Danny again, because you know how I feel about Danny. Yes. It's, I haven't made it obvious or anything. So we, Danny was talking to his mysterious boss, right? So let's say that Danny's a bad guy. And I love your idea about maybe his boss was a mason. That is fantastic. But if he's a bad guy, maybe they're... Okay, so either he's a good guy, and again, we're back to X-Files thing, right? Right. Or he's a bad guy, and or maybe he's a good guy, and his boss is a bad guy, and his boss is trying to get the power. But yes. Da- but Danny that, knows that too much. That is definitely a possibility that... They could be going after the hidden one to get his power. Yeah. Now, I guess, okay, so Danny can turn two ways here. So either Danny is bad, and I'm rooting for bad, or (laughs) Danny could be being used by his boss, and maybe he'll find that out, and then he'll turn from the dark side to the good side, because he still has feelings for Abby. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I know. Or, (laughs) Or, here's another one, or what if Sophie somehow figures out that Danny is a bad guy. And then she goes all, let's say let's say she goes all team witness and she goes to help them, right? I would love that. Okay. And that would be real interesting because let's face it, we knew that we saw sparks between, <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it sparks, but definitely chemistry between Crane and Sophie. I know again, yes, sorry, 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 shippers, but it would add some additional drama in there, right? It'll yes. it'll tick you off, but it's going to add some additional drama. So, And I have a little thing to say about that a little later on as well. Okay, good. <laughs> well, we're running out of little later on, so. Yes, we are. <laughs> okay. Now, this week's ickyisms are going to be a combination of team witness because Crane didn't have all the great lines this episode. And no, he didn't, <laughs> did he? It was it was a team effort. Yes, it was. And we've already mentioned Jenny's opening salvo a couple of times now. Yeah, it was still great. <laughs> <laughs> and then we hear Sophie go, first of all, I have a name. Second, it's rude to point. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that endeared her to a lot of the audience when she said that. Because I think, I think all so of us, too. all of us at one time in our life have felt that, or another have felt that way. Yes. And then we have, a, like you said, Joe, Crane, and Abby working so well together. Joe goes, how did that end up on the back of a sawbuck? Crane, uh, a certain someone insisted on it. The most confounding of founding fathers. Abby, his favorite, Ben Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and we hear Crane go, no monster. I believe we are facing a living, breathing God. Yep. Yoza. Abby goes, where's this lodge house? Crane, the state capital, Albany, at the university, where it may be protected and studied by the brightest, most learned minds in academia. 
And then there's a toga party. It's, <laughs> it's a frat house. So much grain. <laughs> that was awesome. Anyways, why is emulating a Roman Senate gone amok considered celebrating? Yeah. Here <laughs> goes, beer can make a guy do strange things. And crane pipes up from time immemorial. <laughs> yeah. The evils of alcohol, dear oh. children. And can I sketch? I was painting oils while Gilbert Stewart was still shredding snuff in... Narragansett. Yes. Lovely, lovely, lovely pay- place up in uh, Maine, I believe. Ah, very good. Yes. So Abby does have some uh, artistic skills as well. Yes. And once again, another bit of wisdom from our crane. Often when love grips the heart, logic can abandon the mind. And I'm afraid we're going to see that beginning February the 5th. <laughs> believe you're right. This plan is of ours is crazy, yeah? Is that a question? Yeah. <laughs> of course. It's always crazy. Yes, it Every was. plan of ours is crazy. But it was almost 100% successful. Yes. Almost. Not almost. quite. All right. What's our history lesson for this week, Barb? Well, Steve, this week I'm going to go through the history of Freemasonry and the Eye of Providence. So actually, I thought it was rather prophetic that Team Witness needed to obtain the first book of the Masonic Law from what turned out to be a fraternity house. As <laughs> I know, as Freemasonry is a fraternal organization that traces its beginnings to the Stone Masons in the 14th century. I don't think they had toga parties, though. Not likely. Nope. These early fraternities regulated the qualifications of those individuals and their interactions with the authorities and their customers. The local unit of each organization is the lodge, and it is governed at the regional level by a grand lodge. Now, each grand lodge is independent, and there is no worldwide governing body. There are many rituals and ceremonies associated with the Masons, and Freemasonry is described as a beautiful system of morality, veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols, which actually is kind of amusing because Ben Franklin, who was, of course, a Mason, didn't exactly ascribe to the morality piece. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. He, he lived with his common law wife and he had another son out of wedlock. So, yeah, he was a Mason, perhaps in title only. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Just minus the morality. Minus, definitely minus the morality. <laughs> anyway, these symbols are normally made from the tools of stonemasons. Now, new Masons must swear to keep the secrets of their organization and support their fellow Masons in distress which they we saw that with Washington, although, yes, with Washington and with Revere. Now, the earliest known American lodges were established in Pennsylvania, as that's what I saw online, not New York, prior to 1715, although the early records apparently are not very good. In 1731, Benjamin Franklin was initiated into the local Masonic Lodge in Pennsylvania, and he became the Grand Master in 1734. Now, that same year, he edited and published the first Masonic book in the Americas, which was actually a reprint of James Anderson's Constitutions of the Freemasons. Now, other prominent American Revolutionary Freemasons were, as I mentioned, George Washington, Paul Revere, John Paul Jones, and John Hancock. The Eye of Providence, or the all-seeing Eye of God, is a symbol showing an eye often surrounded by rays of light or a glory symbol and usually enclosed by a triangle. It is sometimes interpreted as representing the eye of God watching over humankind or divine providence. Now you can see this eye on the reverse of the Great Seal of the United States, which appears on the U.S. $1 bill. Now the eye of providence is often associated with Freemasonry. It first appeared as part of the standard iconography, of the Freemasons in 1797 with the publication of Thomas Smith Webb's Freemasons Monitor. It represents the all-seeing eye of God, and it is a reminder that a Mason's thoughts and deeds are always observed by God. So thank you again, Wikipedia, and if anyone is interested in reading more about Freemasonry and the Eye of Providence, I am going to include the links in our show notes. Once again, another great history lesson there, Barb. Thank you very much, Steve. Now, feedback. Do we have a little feedback this week? Oh, we certainly do. And first up is our bestie, Justina. Hi, Barb and Steve. Wow, that was a fabulous fall finale for Sleepy Hollow. 
It was absolutely awesome. I give that episode 10 out of 10 dueling spellcasters. I'm super excited that it looks like in the second half of the season, we are going to get to go to an entirely new realm to help save Abby. I was reading in the Facebook group, and I noticed that Todd was asking a question on why Abby just didn't throw the stone into the tree and why she went into the tree herself. And I do have a theory on that. My theory is, since the casing for the Anubis stone was smashed, when she was pulling the energy out of Ginny, it was going into the casing, but since the casing was all cracked up, it was possible that some of it was also sinking into her own skin, and she felt like she had to go into the tree as well. Otherwise, she would have caused the explosion like what we saw in the flashback. So I think that's why Abby went into the tree herself versus just tossing the stone in because I think the stone may have already been starting to soak into her and she felt like she had no other choice. Thank you for all the hard work you've put into the podcast this fall. Can't wait to hear from you guys in the new year. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Thanks so much for that great feedback, Justina. We really appreciate it, and I really liked your uh, your rating, 10 Dueling Spellcasters. Yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? <laughs> now, she talked about Abby not being able to simply throw the stone into the tree, and, and I will say that is a lot of the, I'll call it the criticism or the knocks that I was reading on the internet here yesterday and today, since the casing was smashed. But Justina's thought is is right on, and this is exactly the same thing that I was thinking, that this energy was being absorbed by Abby or else it was binding her in such a way that she couldn't let it go. I mean, you could see it vibrating in her hands. Yes. And so if she couldn't let go of it or couldn't toss it anywhere, then she would have had to have taken it into the tree. She would have had to have done something to sacrifice herself. I completely agree with that train of thought there, Justina. Yeah, nice job, Justina. And we also got a little feedback from the fringe rock star, Terry Burge. Just finished watching Sleepy Hollow. Loved the throwback to Animal House. And what a cliffhanger. Amen. (laughs) On all counts. Yes. Yes. It was uh, an unexpected pleasure to have the shout out to Animal House. You know, and thankfully, we did not see either Crane or Joe smashing a beer can against their forehead. Yes. (laughs) Thankfully, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and season. So please send us your feedback and theories. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. Shout out to the following. And I'm going to butcher this name and I'm, I apologize right now. Asia, Lols, L-O-L-S, Ashley, Devana, and Susan. And this week's special shout-outs go to Jessica Camacho, who plays Sophie. Ooh, what did she say? Well, she uh, liked a tweet that I sent her asking, will more sparks fly? Oh, Oh, that's why you have a little inside knowledge, huh? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. And also to one Dustin Lewis. The one and only Paul Revere. He actually followed us. How very exciting! And so, I, thank you very much. And I like, I do like the character of Paul Revere. I think he is great to watch, and Dustin Lewis is doing a fantastic job playing him. Yes, I agree. Yeah. All right. You want to give our contact information, Barb? I can certainly do that. As Steve said, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And so you can get in touch with us via our voicemail number, which is 304-837-2278. Or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record some audio. Or you can typey typey out your feedback on the form. Or you can even attach your own audio feedback. Now, when is our feedback deadline, Steve? It is Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's right. You can also follow us at Witness Prophecies on Facebook or on Twitter at WitnessProfGSM. 
You can follow Steve at SalYourSteve, and I am at Tangier14. All right. Now we're to the point in the podcast where we are going to discuss spoilers, visions of the future. So, So, as Crane said last week, run. I am so going to get that taped while while we have our break. That is going to be here for the second half of the season. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Our first bit of news, Sleepy Hollow's Abby and Jenny will reunite with their father. The father of the Sleepy Hollow character, Abby and Jenny, played by Nicole Bahari and Lindy Greenwood, will be reuniting with his daughters on the series in the form of James McDaniel, who will play Ezra Mills when the Fox drama returns next February. Fans of the series may already know that Ezra has been estranged from his daughters since their childhood, when he abandoned them with their mother who had to be institutionalized soon thereafter. Now, Ezra will return, hoping to become part of his daughter's lives once again. I'm sure drama will ensue. The actor starred in Amazon's pilot, Hysteria, and recently reoccurred on Netflix, Orange is the New Black, and Fox's The Following. He was the lead on NYPD Blue 412 season. A very seasoned actor. Okay, so here is the little hint. It says he's going to be reuniting with his daughters, plural, on the series. (laughs) Okay, so we know Abby is coming back. So have no fear. She will be back with us after some drama. And it'll be interesting to hear that backstory, too. Yes, it will. And so then now we're going to do, we're going to flip coins again. Is he going to be evil or is he going to be (laughs) non-evil? And I had been thinking evil at the beginning of the season, and I may have to reevaluate that now. Maybe. All right, well, we'll see. But we'll be waiting until February the 5th. Yeah, uh, that's my sigh. All right, and then it'll be on on Friday nights. But you know what? We've got the holiday season ahead of us. Y'all will be so busy with with the holiday parties and stuff. The time is going to go by. It'll be here faster than you know it. Yes, it will. It will fly by. But in the meantime, if you've got that sleepy hollow craving, you can do something else. And this would make a wonderful Christmas gift for your loved ones. Yes, it would. The new book, Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters. The official making of book is out now, done by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. Have you ordered your copy? Get on it. If you haven't, mine arrived this past week. I've so far I've been like a little kid. I've only looked at the pictures. Okay, (laughs) but and it's oh, it it is awesome. It has all the monsters in there. It definitely has um, information about Abby, about Jenny, about August, about August Corbin about Captain Frank Irving. Nice. It, it is filled with good stuff, and I can't wait to have a chance just to sit down and really have some nice quality time with the book. Maybe I'll put a picture or two on the Witness Prophecies Facebook page here. Yes, and to you keep might it- actually get a podcast discussing yes. what great stuff is in the book. Yes, you might. Guys, so yeah, while we have our break, Steve and I have talked uh, about a couple different ideas of things that we might do during this two and a half months. So keep your eyes posted to the Witness Prophecies Facebook page and to the Twitter account, and we'll let you know what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. Okay? So if Absolutely. you do have feedback, send it in. Anything that you like, your theories, etc. Yes, we are definitely kicking around a couple of ideas on topics to discuss during the break. Uh, we probably won't be putting out a podcast weekly, but I think we could uh, bi-weekly without too much trouble. Yeah, so stay tuned, sleepyheads. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, please rate and review us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com backslash iTunes. Let your friends know and hope you're enjoying our podcast. And now that we are officially in the Christmas season, please don't forget to check out our Amazon links as it kicks us a few pennies and doesn't cost you anything to do your shopping on Amazon. Get the book through Amazon in our link. Yes. This is Steve. If we wage a war fearing loss, we surrender to defeat before a battle has begun. And this is Barb signing out and wishing the very best to you and your loved ones during the holidays. See you in February, sleepyheads.